Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. Good morning, good morning. How y'all feeling? Y'all all right? Man, yo, can we, can we uh, put our hands together for the awesome praise and worship team and the musicians that ushered us in to the presence of God this morning? We're so honored to have each and every one of you here. Um, if you're here for the first time, hey, how are you? My name is Talit, along with my beautiful wife, Ty, and she is beautiful. Um, we have the distinct privilege of being the lead pastors here at All Nations Aurora, and we are glad that you are here. If this is your first time, you're jumping in the middle of an ongoing conversation that we've been having all month long called No Offense. And I, I, I think I've done a pretty good job of offending everybody every single week thus far. Somebody told me last week, they said, Pastor, that last message really got on my nerves. That's how I know that the Lord is leading this charge and the Lord is um, helping us to grow. I don't know if you were here at the top of the year, but one of the things that we unveiled was what the Lord has spoken over us as a body. He said that this was going to be the year of cultivation. And that doesn't sound super like sexy. Like, yeah, cultivate. It, it would be better if I said, like, this is the year of purpose. Ha! Ah, this is the year of destiny. <laughs> this is the year of favor. No, this is the year of cultivation. And that word cultivation, it's an agricultural term. Because what happens in agriculture is you get a piece of land or uh, a certain parcel of land, and you can you can, you can get the ground ready. You can, you can plant seeds. You can water it properly and fruit will grow. But the problem is, is that if you do nothing else, that once fruitful place will become desolate and barren and unfruitful. And what has to take place in order for a once fruitful place to maintain its fruitfulness or to become fruitful again it has to go through something called cultivation. where The ground has to be reworked. You may have to get some weeds out. It may be some new seeding required. It may be some new water required. But if you don't take the time to cultivate, you cannot be fruitful again. So for a lot of us, what the Lord was highlighting is that maybe in one season of our lives, we were on point. There was plenty of fruit to show that the Spirit of God was active and working through us, but then life started life, and then uh, we all went through 2020, and a lot of our worlds were turned upside down, and God is demanding that this house, these people, go through a process of cultivation, and that's actually good news because it's a sign to you and I that he has more in store for us in the future. But there's a process. And this, this series has been an exemplar of what God is trying to do in our hearts. He's trying to get you to see some areas that you need to tend to. And don't worry for all my aspiring preachers out there. The message is always for the messenger first. 
So I'm already, I'm already a couple steps ahead of you. He's been, he's been beating me down longer than he started beating y'all down. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. And so this is part four of this conversation. Do me a favor real quick, because I'm a teacher and I like doing stuff like I'm back in the classroom. Are y'all willing to, to do, this, do this with me real quick? Okay, quick, real quick. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up real quick. If you're physically able, if you're physically able, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Real quick, real quick. Okay. Are you ready? Okay, listen carefully. I'm a teacher, so I need you to listen. You're my students right now, okay? Are you listening? Are you prepared? All right, here we go. It's a simple survey. We're all doing a collective church survey. Simple. One question survey, okay? You can sit down, excuse me, you can, I want to make it a little more simple. I don't want to excuse somebody. Remain standing, remain standing, remain standing if you've never done anything wrong. Jesus, everybody. We got one. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we all fall short of the glory of God. We all need his mercy. Because none of us have figured out how to live this life perfectly. Why is that important? Because we tend to be more graceful to ourselves than we do to other people. Even if those other people did something similar to what we've done in our past, we have a tendency to extend more grace to the man or the woman in the mirror than the man or the woman sitting next to us at work sitting next to us in church or that family member that did something similar than what we did five years ago. Sometimes we get a little, we get a little amnesia about just how much mercy we are currently in the need of. And I, I put that word currently there for a reason. Because a lot of church people, we love giving testimonies about things that we did 10 years ago. But we leave out how we fell short 10 minutes ago. <laughs> As if we don't currently need his mercy now. And I think God is coming to challenge us in that area today. So we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture um, that's going to be a little challenging. Can I just tell you that up front? I want to be a good pastor. Kind of warn you, this may be slightly uncomfortable, but it's for our good. Point to yourself real quick and say, it's for my good. So we're going to be looking at Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke, the 18th chapter. Starting at verse number nine. And I want to give a little context to this passage of scripture that we're about to read. The scene is such as that Jesus has been teaching. He's in the middle of a teaching. 
And he's surrounded by people who are, in their mind, have it all together. In their mind, they've been living incredibly righteous lives based on the Talmud, which is, excuse me, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, which was their version of the Bible during this time. And so these people really firmly believe in their heart that the way they've been living their life is in accordance with their faith. And therefore, who is this Jesus guy to tell me anything different? Now, before you judge them, make sure that they aren't you. But let's see. Let's see what Jesus has to say. Starting at verse 9, if you got it, say, I got it. If you need more time, say, hold up. Those are Androids. I know it. The Bible app, you hit it. At some point, it's going to open. Go to Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. I'll be reading from NLT version, and it reads, verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. Oh, man, this is starting off rough already. And they scorned everyone else. So here's the story, the parable that Jesus gave them. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give you a tenth of my, I pay my tithes. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Real quick, turn to your neighbor real quick, real quick, real quick, and say, neighbor, are you the Pharisee or the tax collector? Today's message is titled, I Am Him. Let's go to the throne of grace. Father in heaven, we honor you this morning. For you lifted our heads off those pillows, not our alarm clock. Your spirit resides in this place right now because you have a word to speak to us concerning us. We want to move out of your way so that we can hear clearly and directly from you that you make your will known to us on how you plan on cultivating our hearts for the harvest that is to come. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, I am him.
Now, I became more acquainted with this phrase during the last set of NFL playoffs. I saw several players, they would, they would make a good play, and, and the camera would be on them, and, and they would be like, I'm him. I'm him. And, 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 it, and it started to spread. One player said, uh, uh, Joe Burrow said it, then I saw Stephon Diggs say it, and then on and on, more and more people were saying it. And then I saw an interview of LeBron James on his show, and they were asking him, what do you think about the comparisons with Jordan and, and being the GOAT? Which Jordan is the GOAT, just for clarification. But um, he, he was asked, you know, what do you think about all those comparisons? And he said, I don't care what people think because I'm him. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I kind of identify with it. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, when, you're, when you're in a competitive environment like sports, you kind of have, you kind of got to gotta have a little, little, little tinge of arrogance. Just a little tinge. A pinch of arrogance in there to compete at the highest level. Uh, uh, I remember way back in high, way back many millennia ago in high school, playing football and uh, growing up playing football pre-high school. Uh, everybody in my city that played football, we was on one team, and so we were teammates. But then when we got to high school, there's this street that goes through the middle of our city, and depending on which side of the street you live on, you go to two different high schools. So in the high schools, we became competitors. And the first couple of years, we didn't play each other because we weren't in the same conference. But then uh, uh, one season, we were going to play each other. We ain't played each other since we was little, little kids. And, and they, were, they, were, they were talking, man. They were, they were running their mouth to me. Hey, now listen, I was never the type of player that was on the field running their mouth. My dad taught me, always let your play do the talking. So I was that type of player, and, and I just let my play do the talking. But this was different. They was talking crazy, like such and such. Man, he going to shut you down. You ain't going to. I'm like, huh? You know me. You know how I do. And I let myself get offended by their trash talk. <laughs> And game day came. And that offense was, was, was growing, had a little seasoning on it. It was cooking up real good in my shanana. And so I took the field with this offense in my heart. And I was tearing this dude up all game, all game. I'm just, get out my way. I'm making tackles in the backfield. I got to this point. This was totally not me. This was, I promise y'all, this is not how I roll, but I, I was offended. And I was doing my thing, and then after one play, I saw one of my friends on the sideline. Don't judge me, y'all, because I'll be telling y'all the truth about me, and I really feel like y'all be judging me on the inside. I've been redeemed, okay? <laughs> but I looked, and he had his helmet on. He looking salty. I'm like, you better tell your coach to get somebody else out here. You'll get this quarterback killed. Tell him to get somebody else out here. And I just started yapping and yapping and yapping. Had a great game. But what happened was I became somebody that I wasn't. My character changed because I let offense 
turn me into somebody other than who my dad raised me to be. I had a character change right there in the middle of my offense because what could happen when we let offense fester? It could become a character altering disease in our heart. And what's so dangerous about it is it's subtle. It's not overt. And in a lot of instances, you're not even conscious that your character changed. And you're operating differently than how your father in heaven raised you to operate in this world. That's why offense is extremely dangerous and should not be taken lightly because it's a secret assassin. It easily gets behind enemy lines and wreaks all type of havoc. And then you wonder why people stop wanting to be around you. You blame them. You say, well, you know, the higher you go, the less people can be around. Because scientifically speaking, when, al when the altitude raises, you know, it's not a, the same amount of oxygen. You try to get deep with it. When the truth is, you just nasty. Don't nobody want to be around nasty people. But you didn't even realize that a shift occurred in you. And you tried to dress it up with some anointing oil. And say, you know, as I get closer to Jesus, you know, there's the outer court, the inner court, and the holy. Oh, everybody can't come into the holy of holies. I, I know y'all. I know who I'm talking to. And so did Jesus. Jesus knew exactly who he was talking to. That's why he's the greatest preacher of all time. Because he told this story and he used two characters that he knew would hit home for the people that were listening. These two types of people could not be more different. A Pharisee and a tax collector were on complete opposites of the social scale. One was highly revered. The other was highly reviled. One was looked up to. One was looked down upon. Nobody likes the tax man. You don't even like the tax man. You remember your first paycheck? She was like, who is Piker? I don't know Piker. Why is Piker taking my money? <laughs> like nobody likes to see those lines on the like, I done put in all this work. FICA ain't did nothing. FICA wasn't mopping these floors. FICA wasn't cleaning these dishes. Why FICA get my money? Nobody likes the tax man. And they especially wasn't feeling the tax man in Jesus' day. So let's look at these two characters. Let's start with the tax man. The tax collector had been an unmerciful, money-extorting man. He was a thief. That's how they got paid. They were Jews 
but they were Jews who contracted themselves to the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire tasked them with the collecting of taxes on income, on the taxes of goods sold. And the Roman Empire didn't pay them. They would skim money off the top. They would pocket that money. And everybody knew it. That's why they didn't like them. The tax collector was unjust to the poor and the weak. They were prone to take advantage of the least of these in society. In today's economy, we call it predatory lending. When they came up with programs to extract money from people who didn't have extra money to extract and made their situation worse. This is why people did not like them. The tax collector, he didn't pray in an acceptable manner and form in this story because there was a certain way that you came to the temple and you prayed. There was a certain style. There was a certain manner. There was a certain body posture that you were supposed to take. And he ain't do none of that. He ain't follow none of the church rules when he went in the temple to pray. That's why we don't like them tax collectors. They don't pray right. How dumb of a sentence is that? They don't pray right. They don't preach right. They don't sing right. They don't even speak in tongues. They ain't got the Holy Ghost. I am him. The tax collector probably hadn't been to the temple in years. Because you got to understand, they were social outcasts. Even though they were Jews, the Jews did not want them around in any situation. So he took a risk even showing up to the temple to pray. And chances are, that the people that were there, you know, the church folks, when that tax collector walked in, there's a good chance that those church folks looked down on him. What's this tax collector doing in here? He ain't nothing but a crook and a thief. Smell like weed right now. You know how church people do. But we talking about a tax collector. They were not liked. On the other hand, Pharisees, preacher man. Oh yeah. They were the standard that we were trying to pursue because the Pharisee is a man of discipline and prayer. He paid his tithes. You know, research says that on average, the average church today, about 17 to 22 percent of any congregation are the tithe payers. And that's about right. That's what happens here, too. So imagine if everybody in here was a Pharisee. Our, our given would probably quadruple. Because they were strict about it. 
They didn't play no games. The Torah said to tithe. So a Pharisee, they tithe, no questions asked. Ask your neighbor, do Pharisees outgive you? According to this passage of scripture, the Pharisee is different from other people. Remember his prayer? He said, God, thank you. I ain't like other people. Them cheaters, them sinners. No, she was at the club last night. Because she posted right there, sitting next to a drink. Thank God I am not like other people. That's what the Pharisee prayed. The Pharisee lives a far better life in society than the tax collector. Everywhere a Pharisee went, people would look out for them because they respected them so much. They were the standard of what godliness looked like in their mind. Come on, they showed up everywhere and got free meals. They showed up everywhere and got the best seats. They showed up and people revered and honored them. The complete opposite of what happens when a tax collector shows up. A lot of times, tax collectors had to walk around with guards. Guards to protect them, but also guards to get that paper about them people. They had them hitters with them. Because they had a job to do. So when the Pharisees showed up, it was honor and respect. When the, when the tax collectors showed up, it was disgust. Nobody wanted that doggone tax collector around. Jesus knew this. He knew that using these two types of characters, people would be able to understand his point. So let me modernize it. So, so when, when, when Jesus was talking about the Pharisee versus the tax collector, he was essentially comparing Billy Graham to Bernie Madoff. This is, this is how he sets the story up. So when, when the story begins... People probably were forming in their mind how the story would end, right? Billy Graham preached the gospel, listen, come here, to over 215 million people. That's his resume. On the other hand, Bernie Madoff over a 20-year period swindled people out of 65 billion dollars. This is the context of this parable. Billy Graham versus Bernie Madoff showed up to church. <laughs> There's trouble in that sentence. Because both of them were at church when this happened. Both of them showed up to church to pray. But only one of them exited justified according to the king of kings. They were both in church. Ask your neighbor real quick, are you the tax collector or the Pharisee? 
They both were in church. Y'all are in church. Chances are that you're one of the two. That's why this is called I am him, because you are. We'll find out where you land in a minute. In the Bible, Pharisees and tax collectors had nothing to do with each other. Pharisees were so staunchly committed to being godly that they would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Have you seen the first five books of the Old Testament? It's a lot. It's a lot going on there. And they committed themselves to not only that, but to learning the oral, trans, the oral traditions that were passed down to them from their ancestors. They were known to be the go-to if you were reading the Torah and you couldn't quite comprehend, you would ask them because they were so steeped in their knowledge of the scriptures that they could also help you to understand what thus says the Lord. They were committed to over 600 laws. Y'all only struggle, y'all struggle with the Ten Commandments. They committed their lives to keeping all 615 commandments that are listed in the Old Testament. They weren't playing. They were serious about this church thing. They was in it to win it. And that's why they were so respected and so revered. Because think about how busy you are. Being an employee, an entrepreneur, a husband, a father, a man, a woman. You got stuff going on. I ain't got time to memorize five books of the Bible. So I really respect that you did. So here's an extra piece of chicken. Can you pray for us? Please. Because I don't know all five books. They were revered and respected everywhere that they went, but not so with the tax man. Everybody hated them. They were looked at as traitors. They're like, how you going to do us dirty? You one of us. The Roman Empire was their oppressor. So the tax collector came to the Jews to get money to help the Roman Empire continue to oppress them. Can you imagine slaves funding slavery? It's essentially what was happening. And that's why wasn't nobody trying to mess with them. And that's why Jesus is so dope. He had one of them as his 12. Matthew was a tax collector and there was no good tax collectors. They was all about that life. And nobody wanted nothing to do with any of them. 
So that's why it comes to no surprise that wasn't nobody trying to, wasn't nobody trying to show them no love. Wasn't nobody trying to show them no grace. Wasn't nobody trying to give them another chance. You've been robbing us for years. You've been stealing from us for years. So much so that people looked at the tax collector as worse than the Romans. They looked at them as worse than the people that was oppressing them the most. Because we get it that a stranger wants to hold us back, but how you want to hold us back and you one of us? You the lowest of the, of the low. And so when we look back at Luke 18 and 10, that's why it stands out that these two men went to the temple to pray. I mean, it makes sense that the Pharisee would show up to pray because they was about that life. But, 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 but what was the tax collector doing there? He knows that nobody wants him around. According to the scripture, I ain't hear nothing about none of his guards. He's just there by himself in church praying. Why do we why do we expend energy looking down on people that are in the same church that we're in? Why do we spend energy looking down on people who claim the same Jesus that we do? Why are we comfortable looking down on a fellow believer of Jesus Christ? It's because offense has changed our character. We've been looking down on people for so long that we've forgotten the amount of grace that was extended to us. And what happens over time becomes easier. I'm not judging. This is how we do it. This is how we Christianize it. I'm just inspecting fruit. I know all y'all little lines. I'm a fruit inspector. I'm not judging. I'm just taking a look at the fruit. Mm -hmm. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. But what it really, what it really is, the reason you so offended at brother and sister such and such and the post that they make and the moves that they make is because you have forgotten about your own grace. The reason it's so easy for you to look down on others is because you haven't been looking up at him. When you spend more time devoted to looking up to the king, you have less energy to look down on your brother and your sister. You have even less time to look down on people who aren't even a part of the kingdom. But when you spend all your energy talking about, thank you, Lord, I'm not like them. Your character changes. You're trying to wrap up offense and pride and self-righteousness in prayer. If you notice these two prayers from these two people, they are going in two different directions. One prayer is actually 
pointing at the individual. The other prayer is pointing up to heaven. When he said, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that I'm not like them. Thank you that I'm not a cheater. Thank you that I'm not a sinner. And thank you that I am not no tax collector. Then you look at the you look at the prayer of the tax collector. He was talking about himself, but he was sending it to heaven. He couldn't even look up. He couldn't even put his eyes towards heaven because he was so well acquainted with how unworthy he is. When was the last time you realized how unworthy you are? Not, 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 not were. Mm -mm. I'm not talking about that faithful day when you came to the altar and you surrendered. No, no, I'm talking about today. Today. Right where you sit, you're unworthy. <laughs> your Bible says that on your best day, your best praise is filthy rags before him. A dirty tampon is how it's translated. That's your best praise. When was the last time you reacquainted yourself with your unworthiness? I wonder if you spent a little time reminiscing on your unworthiness, would you be able to stick your nose down at the person next to you as often as you do? He went on the Pharisee to verbalize all the rules that he kept. I fast twice a week. He was letting God know just how godly he was. I'm sure y'all don't do that. I'm sure that when you're praying your prayers to your father, that in your heart you're not you're not regurgitating your religious resume, are you? I serve on the dream team every week. I'm a captain of a life group. I open my doors to people to come and experience the goodness of God. I pay my tithes, about 17% of y'all. I pay my tithes, Lord. Hmm. I, 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 wonder, I wonder if you think that that's bringing you closer to God. Here's the thing. What Jesus was trying to get them and us to understand is this ain't a conversation about right and wrong. Because if it's just a conversation about right and wrong, then the Pharisee's right. He's done all the right things. Then how come at the end Jesus said it wasn't him, it was the tax collector who left justified? Because the conversation ain't about right or wrong, it's about pride and humility. You so busy trying to be right 
And Jesus said, I'm looking for those who are humble. You can be right and wrong and on your way to hell with your right self. Because Jesus doesn't, he doesn't search the exterior. The Bible says that he searches the intentions of the heart. So I appreciate all 17% of y'all to pay your tithes. I appreciate all y'all that are on the dream team serving every week. I appreciate all y'all that are in life groups, hosting life groups. But what I really want to know is where is your heart inside of those tasks? What's your end game? What's your goal? Are you trying to put another bullet on your religious resume? Or are you trying to be more like Jesus? Jesus was humble. Jesus was perfect in all his ways, but he didn't lord that over anybody. He said that I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Jesus committed zero sin. He was righteous. He was pure. And yet this righteous, pure rabbi had this distinct ability to draw sinners to himself. Let me give you some examples. Jesus, he often went to the parties that society said that he shouldn't go. He was hanging with the tax collectors and the like, kicking it on the rag. But Jesus wasn't in there trying to be like them. He was in there so they could become like him. That's the difference between what Jesus was doing and what you was doing at the club. Well, the Bible says we're supposed to be light in dark places and the club is pretty dark. No, you're dark. Remember, remember, right before Jesus was going to be, be crucified, there was a prostitute that was so touched by his ministry that she took her oil of alabaster and, and poured it on his feet, emptied out the whole thing on his feet. This was a prostitute. People look down on prostitutes. Why are you letting that prostitute touch you? And then... They try to church it up. We could have used that money to feed the poor. That's right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. You know how we do. Jesus wasn't worried about that. He went to Jericho. And there was a, a, a man up in the tree. His name was Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm spending the day with you. Do you know what Zacchaeus' occupation was? Oh, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. The worst of the worst. Jesus went right up in that thing like, what you got? What's on, what, what we doing? Steak, chicken, what we doing? Or how about that time where he spent time with the woman at the well? Hmm, you know her. The one who had four husbands and the man she was with right now ain't the husband either. Jesus stayed there, was kicking it, drinking water with her. Giving her the word of the Lord. He wasn't tripping on her lack of a religious resume. Why? Why did Jesus have the ability to stay holy, to stay righteous, 
to stay pure and still attract these sinners to him is because he made them feel love. Hmm? We so busy trying to be right that we end up pushing people away so they don't feel love. Does that mean we just ignore people's struggles? No, and in none of those scenarios did Jesus ignore what they was going through. How they fell short. He addressed it in every single situation, but he addressed it with a humble, pure, loving heart. What he wanted for them was to set them free. He saw past the fruit and he went towards the root so that he could set them free. After he told the woman at the well, you done had all kind of husbands, shorty. He said, but I got some living water for you that could change your whole life forever. And she was so impacted by the love that he showed her that she went out and told the whole city, yo, you got to come holler at Jesus. That's what we're called to do. But as soon as we see somebody that's outside of our little theological box, we go right to offense. How dare they? How could they? See, that's why I ain't never mess with her. My spirit picked it up. You know how we do. We like to we like to cloak our our pride and little Christian soliloquies. And we wonder why so many people are walking away from church. It's because of church people. Not the head of the church. It's on us. This is why we got to get this offense out of our heart because it's in the way of what God is trying to use us to do in this world. He wants us to reach them. And in order for us to reach them, we have to see them the way he sees them. I think one of the, one of the things that's lacking, that's causing this gap between us having the ability to see people the way God sees them and the way we want to see them is we lack in a, an eternal perspective. Like we're so zero focused in on the right here and the right now. Like some of you are, you come to get prayer at the altar because of a current situation or a current need that you're trying to have met, which is fantastic. The Bible tells us to pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. Bring your, bring, uh, cast your, your cares at his feet. But when we start moving through life without an eternal perspective, our ability to walk in the will of God is extremely shallow. It lacks definition and depth. 
because we fail to realize that all the decisions that we're making in the here and now have eternal ramifications beyond this life. You know there's a heaven and a hell, right? One of each, by the way. And the decisions that we're making are leading us to one of these two destinations. But wait a minute. The decisions that we're making about other people is pushing them in one of two directions. Because everything we do, we say, we post has ramifications that will last throughout eternity. You know that on that glorious day, you're going to have to stand before him, don't you? You know he's going to ask about the things that you did while you was on this earth, don't you? You're going to have to give an account, not just for what you did within yourself, but also how you treated God's other sons and daughters on this earth. I don't think when you get there, you're going to be like, but they were smoking. That's why I ain't talked to them. I didn't want that marijuana devil to get on me. <laughs> no, Jesus, see, what had happened was the reason I didn't show them love is because they were so promiscuous. And I just knew they wasn't going to listen to what I had to say. And I didn't want that promiscuous demon to jump off of them and jump on me. Separate yourself. Come out from among them, Lord. That's what I was doing. <laughs> the problem with that is that before Jesus left this earth, the last thing he told you to do was to go into all of the world and make disciples. He didn't tell you to, to assign them to heaven or hell. Because you don't have that power. It don't belong to you. We're supposed to tell everybody that we can of the goodness of Jesus. And the Bible says that at the end, he's going to separate them. He's going to determine the wheat from the chaff. You don't have that power. You don't have that ability. That is not your assignment. You're supposed to be a living epistle, holy and pure, so that you become a witness not to your goodness, but to the goodness of the Father, your master, your savior, your redeemer. Does your life, does your witness, does your testimony, does your conversation, does your approach, does the tone in your voice point to Jesus or to you? Ask your neighbor, are you the tax collector or the Pharisee? The answer to that question is I am him. The goal of this message is to, is to 
push you from Pharisee to the tax collector. That don't make sense. Unless you're looking at the situation like Jesus is looking at the situation. Because only one of them had the right heart. Only one of them had the right posture. Only them, only one of them had the right goal in mind. But sometimes it's so hard to look past the label. Ain't no way I'm going to be no tax collector, Lord. I'm not going to be no social outcast. I like when people like my posts. I don't want people to not like me. I much would rather be Mr. or Mrs. Pharisee, post my little scriptures, let people know I'm fasting. Look at me. Look at my water bottle. I'm fasting. I'm trying to hear from the Lord. Why are you telling us? We not the Lord. We post our little motivational quotes that really just point back to us. God did it. The favor is on my life. It's all about you. It ain't about the kingdom. You want people to look at you with awe. You don't want them to look at your father with awe. You want people to honor you. You don't want people to honor him. You want people to come to you with their problems. You don't want people to go to Jesus with them because it's about you, Mr. Pharisee. Mrs. Pharisee, you lack an eternal perspective. And that's why Nobody's coming to know Jesus because of your life. Because they don't even think they have what it takes because of your arrogance. Y'all okay? You don't realize that you allowed a little offense to build into a character trait of pride. Thank God I'm not like them. Maybe we should be a little more like the tax collector from a heart perspective. Maybe our hearts need more cultivation than we realize. Maybe that's why there's no fruit. Because our offense has allowed our heart to become overrun with pride. That's why you repost the downfall of the latest trendy preacher. And then you try to put a Bible verse in there. The Lord rises one up and he sits another down. Like y'all got to stop. You ain't said one prayer with their name in it. You know why? Because you forgot somebody prayed for you. You forgot.
We have to do the work to change our hearts, to be more like him. Because this parable teaches us that God look right past your unrighteousness and peers right into your heart to determine if you will be justified or not. So there's three quick steps, three quick things we can do to get there. Number one, recognize our sinfulness and need for God's mercy. We are all sinners in need of God's forgiveness. I said we are all sinners. Yes, you with the ordination certificate on the wall. We are all in need of his forgiveness. Not we all were in need. We all are in need. No matter how good we think we are, we all fall short of his standards. No matter how anointed people tell us that we are, we all fall short of his standards. Romans 3 and 23 says it like this, as you don't believe me. For everyone has sinned, that's you, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's you. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. That's you too. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us. That's you. From the penalty of our sins. Did you know? Did you forget? Have you developed amnesia to the fact that you were on your way first class to hell? For Ever. Never to return. Until Jesus stepped in. And freed you. He freed you. Did you forget that you were once a slave to your sins? He freed you. So how can you look down on somebody else's shackles? When you used to have a custom fit yourself. So we have to acknowledge that we are definitely in need of his forgiveness right now. R-H-E-T now. Right now. Second, we need to realize that there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. Did you know that? Thank you for serving. We need you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for volunteering and going out to community with us. Thank you so much for your life group interactions. We, need, we want you to continue. That's part of your discipleship. That's part of your cultivation. That's part of you growing. But you cannot earn God's favor. First John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from our wickedness. We can't do it on our own. So we need him to step in and do the work for us. Lastly, we need to turn to God in repentance. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And this is the sentence you need to hold in your heart. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Did you know that? 
Mr. Mrs. Pharisee? Huh. The reason it's not so is so that none of us can boast in it. Like the Pharisee. I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes. Appreciate it. But you cannot earn God's favor. It's a gift so that none of us can take the credit. Step two, after we take the time to recognize our sinfulness and need for God's mercy, we have to cultivate humility and reject pride. Nobody likes to admit that, yeah, I struggle with pride. It's offensive. If somebody even tries to hint at the fact, you know, that, that sounds a little prideful. A little pride in there. Oh, you get offended instantly. I bind you in the name of Jesus. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I do not have pride. <laughs> it's the first sign of pride. We must resist the temptation since you don't think that you struggle with this, to compare ourselves to others or to become proud of our achievements. You know what the Pharisee's biggest problem was in his little prayer? He made people the standard of righteousness. Thank God I'm not like them. The standard of righteousness is Jesus. How are you doing in comparison to him? I can answer that for you. You're falling short. You need to remind yourself that Jesus is the standard, that you're still in a journey, you're still trying to attain. That's how the humility comes for. When you realize you ain't all that either, but the problem is you think you are. You all that and a bag of chips and some dip on the side. We got to remember that everything we have, spiritual, natural, and anything in between, is a gift from God. We didn't do it on our own. Especially not grace. Especially not salvation. Especially not mercy. Those were given to us every single morning. James 4 and 6, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Second, we must remember that everything we have is a gift. Proverbs 11 and 2 says, pride leads to disgrace. Please don't run past this. Don't automatically assume that there's no way, no how, there's zero chance that you got pride in your heart. Because pride leads to disgrace. But humility comes, but with humility comes wisdom. That's why we need to be in pursuit, chasing after, making intentional efforts towards humility, because that's where true wisdom comes from. 
We can't be thinking that we could handle this on our own. That's what society tells us, though. That's why we go and we get the good grades so that we could go to a good school, so that we can get a good job, and so that we could live a good life. It's all based on human effort, human discipline, human hard work. And you do all that and end up feeling empty with your degrees and your job and your house with the picket fence and the two and a half kids. And you sitting there empty because you did it all in human effort, chasing, chasing your best life. Instead of pursuing the best life God has outlined for you. The only way you can do that is if you put him in the mix of all of your human efforts. Philippians 2 and 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. That's a struggle. Hmm? Go, look at, go look at your timeline. That's a struggle. The Bible says... Don't try to impress others. But as soon as you, you get a new car, your license plate say, bless seven. <laughs> you trying to impress others. That's right. You want everybody to know about your new boo. Until he ain't your boo. And then we got to watch that because you're so busy trying to impress others. Because then as soon as that relationship comes to an end, now all your posts is about, about, about how much of a boss you are. And you don't need nobody else. And then we got to watch that because you're still trying to impress people with your life. And it's so unimpressive because it doesn't involve the king. And you look foolish. Instead, this verse says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. How rare is that? How rare? How rare is the instant that we look at the accomplishment of someone else and are, here it is, happy for them. What a novel concept. If we can look at what God is doing for someone else and celebrate what God is doing for them instead of judging them. He can't even really preach. I mean, I have dreams too. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Y'all okay? I sound a little too much like y'all. What's wrong? But we get offended at the success of others. We do. You don't have to admit it. God wrote this message so you can hear it. I ain't tripping. But God's trying to cultivate your heart to think differently. He's trying to kill your pride. Resurrect humility in its place. Don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Like, when was the last time you helped somebody else build the thing that God called them to do without looking for anything in return for your own self? Take an interest in others too. All right, y'all are getting tired. Last one. Embrace the love and grace of God. Come on, that's a little easier, right? I know I hit y'all across forehead with the first two. But it's also important that you embrace the love and the grace of God. Take it in. Bring it in close so that you can feel it. So that you can recognize it. Because when you bring it in close and you recognize and you feel that love and you feel that grace, it totally impacts the way that you show up to everybody else. Because when you feel the love of God, when you feel the grace of God, you know what happens? You want other people to feel it too. Because it feels so amazing. When you know for sure that the things that are happening in your life right now, you doggone sure didn't earn it. You definitely don't deserve it. It's mind-blowing that God would allow it to happen. You're going to tell somebody, guess what the Lord did? You ain't going to believe this. And when you take the time to embrace the love and the grace of God is going to affect how you communicate it to the next person. Everything coming out of your mouth is going to point to the king as to why this took place. It wasn't your degree. It wasn't your skill set. It wasn't your charismatic personality. It was the grace and the love of God that allowed this to happen. <laughs> it wasn't me. I had nothing to do. I'm a recipient. I ain't make it happen. I ain't deserve for it to happen. I am just a recipient of the love and the grace of God. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's not just a Sunday school memory verse that we learned when we were seven. It's an example of how we are to love people. God gave his most precious thing that he had and he gave it to you. But you walk around with your Hands closed. Ready to fight? Ready to be stingy? Ready to throw a rock? The complete opposite of John 3, 16. That's the musicians play. Because y'all, I think might have been hit enough today. So I'll close with this story. Kevin Garnett, 
watching an interview a couple days ago of his. Um, the highlight of his career was probably the five-year period that he was a member of the Boston Celtics. Uh, within that time frame, um, they were very competitive, and, and one of the years they actually won the championship. And then the three people that were credited with uh, the bulk of the reason why they won was himself, uh, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. All three of them are, are, are in the Hall of Fame now. They were all fantastic players. Um, but after the five-year period where they were all together, um, Ray Allen was a, a free agent. And he had a decision to make where um, he was going to play. And it was an important decision because he was toward the end of his career. And so he knew, like, his next contract might be one of the last chances that he gets at, at, at achieving more championship rings. And so he made the decision um, to leave Boston and to go play for the uh, Miami Heat. And Kevin Garnett was super offended uh, because, you know, over that time period, they had built like this incredible bond both on and off the court. And he kind of felt blindsided by Ray's decision to leave what they had built together. And... Ten years went by without them speaking to each other. That's how offended Kevin was. He wanted nothing to do with Ray because he felt like Ray betrayed their brotherhood. And a whole decade goes by. No communication, no love, nothing. And so the other day on this interview... They were asking him, like, because last year um, when Kevin's jersey was retired in Boston, Ray Allen came, and that was the first time they had been seen together. There's a picture from that ceremony. It was the first time they were seen together in harmony since they played together over 10 years ago. And so the he was actually being interviewed by Kevin Hart, the entertainer, and he said, like, what, you know, like, what, how did that happen? Because we knew y'all had beef, y'all. And he was like, the thing that, that changed everything was when Kobe Bryant died. Because they were also all very close to Kobe. And when he put the, the offense in the light of eternity, he said, after Kobe died, it had me thinking. He was like, man, if something would have happened to Ray and we never got a chance to fix the situation, it would have tore me up. It's something about the sting of death that wakes you up to make this big old offense look super small. I'm wondering who else has some 10-year gaps in here. Communication. I wonder, I wonder who's that, that former friend you haven't talked to. I wonder who's that brother, that sister, that cousin, that uncle, that dad, that mom you ain't talked to due to an offense. I wonder if you took that offense and dropped it in the light of eternity, how big would it still look? Or how small 
would it become? So we all end up in one of these two categories that we learned about today, whether we want to admit it or not. Either we're walking around like a Pharisee, talking about at least I ain't like that. At least I didn't do that. At least I didn't stoop that low. And then we make that what we measure our righteousness by. Or we do like the tax collector. And we make him our standard and we realize I'm nothing but a sinner. I can't even look up to you because I know I don't meet the standard. When you realize that you are still in pursuit of a standard that you haven't attained yet, you're able to have grace for other people who haven't reached that standard yet either. So I ask you, are you the Pharisee? Or are you the tax collector? The answer is, I am him. You're one of them. And the one that you are determines the final result. According to Jesus, according to Jesus, not me. It was the tax collector who was justified. Right, because he realized, he realized, nobody else had to tell him. He realized for himself, he wasn't there yet. He still had work to do. And most importantly, that he still needed God. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.